electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Tesla trying to put out a PR and regulatory fire after a fatal Model S crash in Texas. We've all tried to put out a grease fire with water where it's like, whoa, that was dumb. Taxes, crypto and gun control with Republican Senator Rob Portman. There are ways to tighten background checks, and I I think you'll see some bipartisan agreement on that uh, coming together over a few weeks here. Those stories. Well, at least nothing weird happens anymore. (laughs) Plus, I'll Venmo you some Bitcoin and, yep, it's 420. What was your candy of choice for, for those moments? Andrew. What kind of moments are you referring to? (laughs) It's Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Guys, do you remember one year ago today was when oil prices actually went negative? Kind of a long road that we've come since then. WTI now back at about $64 a barrel. Remember, it was a year ago. Oh my it God. was a year ago today. Well, that's a good one. So yeah, that's... a year ago today, we saw at one point with those uh, with the contract that was expiring, we saw at one point oil being given away for forty dollars. Like, please take this, and we will pay you forty dollars to take this. It was that huge drop off that we've seen, and boy, what a long way we have come back—almost sixty-four dollars. Well, at least nothing weird happens anymore. <laughs> do, do, did you? There was a headline uh, Max mentioned it to me on on Dogecoin, so it's in here. I, I mean. You know, the Squawk Stack, we had GME in there a lot. We're trying to, to, try to get our pulse on the wackiness of the retail, just everything that's going on in this environment that we're in. So the journal has a great piece. It's up 8,000% Dogecoin, which was started as a joke. Yeah. And the headline was Dogecoin like soaring to 8,000% on pot-fueled rally. So we got marijuana in there because today's 420. So they're trying to get it to a dollar. They're trying to get it to a dollar. Because of the some Elon Musk 420, so I mean the, things are crazy. That's why we're. That's, I think maybe we should worry about this stuff. I heard yesterday so there was an analyst who was on who was talking about, not on our show. It was on Worldwide Exchange. An analyst yesterday who was talking about how um, Bitcoin is everything right in the market, but Dogecoin is everything wrong <laughs> in the market, and and you know it's just being speculator speculation, and and people are just kind of rushing in and gambling on this. But it's hard to think that, that some of that frenzy isn't playing out over into no Bitcoin doubt. as well, to think that it's no. just you know, confined to the Dogecoin world, which, again, started out as a joke. It was a we penny, gotta, and, and then it was a nickel, and we, now you said— The question, though, I have about Dogecoin, and frankly, therefore, as Becky, I think, was, was, was implying about Bitcoin, is just how far out this really extends, right, in, in terms of just yeah. the euphoria and the crazy— and how far out that extends in the market, and is there anything systemic about it? And what would if we if we believe this is bubblicious or whatever it is, you know, what pops that bubble? And if it pops, you know, what comes undone in bad ways? Is it is it okay? I mean, these are the things that I'm I've been 
trying to put my finger on, and I think it's very hard to really it, it, understand it, what Robinhood is part of the story too comes, with Dogecoin, because that you saw that Robinhood had trouble handling the. It's not supported right. on Coinbase. Did you know that you can't buy uh, Dogecoin right. on, on Coinbase? So it's a it's part of the whole Robinhood story too, and it's I think it's some of the same. Is it Reddit too? Are they talking about Dogecoin? I bet you they are. On Reddit. Oh, of course. They have lot. There's there are a lot of Reddit boards that'll uh, that'll talk Dogecoin. We have some news just out this morning from PayPal. The company's Venmo app will now allow its 70 million customers to buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrency. Now, the rollout begins today, and it's going to be available to all customers in the next few weeks. Customers can choose from Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash. We need to get an update on whether Dogecoin is on the app. The app will also feature guides and videos that help answer commonly asked questions about cryptocurrency. But this could, uh, you know, see a huge surge into this space. This is what we had talked about in the fall when, when PayPal, the owner of, of Venmo, uh, said they were going to allow people to first get into this. Um, and given the demographic on Venmo, even relative to PayPal, uh, you, you could see a lot more action um, really starting today. So we're going we're gonna to keep our eyes on all of that. It's 420, the unofficial holiday for cannabis and marijuana users. Uh, and Snickers jumping on the weed wagon while also embracing Dogecoin. Uh, this GIF likely to appeal to those with the munchies. Snickers really were good uh, for, for that purpose, uh, I'm told. Uh, with the munchies as well as investors, uh, Snickers sending out this tweet. A Snickers bar with the Dogecoin logo. They mention hashtag Doge Day and hashtag Doge Day 420. <laughs> Another candy bar, Milky Way, also jumping on. Uh, the Doge Day craze. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. What, what was your candy of choice for, for those moments, Andrew? I, what kind of moments are you referring to? <laughs> I, I don't know I, about I'm a those child moments. Of the I'm a child of the 70s. I, I, I just, I can't, I can no longer pretend. I can no longer pretend. Take it away. And you know I like carbs anyway, so to chips, <laughs> chips. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Would have been uh, you wouldn't over eat candy. Any. Chip, you don't need chips any, over uh, candy. Right? You don't need. If, if you normally eat seven donuts, you might eat seventy donuts after that. Exactly. <laughs> um, meantime, as state level marijuana legalization increases and federal legalization appears now to be on the horizon, many investors trying to figure out the difference between Canadian and U.S. pot stocks. Frank Holland joins us now with more on that. Frank. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Very interesting introduction to this story. Uh, U.S. legal cannabis sales forecast to top $24 billion in 2021, a 40% increase year over year, making pot one of the fastest growing U.S. industries and multi-state operators that have the ability to sell medical and recreational cannabis, the only way to invest in those trends. The CEO of Cresco Labs believes the industry is headed for a super cycle. You're seeing this incredible growth opportunity. That's not just transition from illicit market to legal market. That's trying cannabis for the first time. So what you're going to see here in, in the coming 12 to 24 months is this convergence. 
So what are you getting when you invest in U.S. cannabis stocks? Well, the top U.S. cannabis stocks, they more than doubled the revenue of the top Canadian stocks last quarter. Also, much higher year-over-year growth. So you got to keep that in mind when you're investing. The pandemic boosted recreational use. Still, two-thirds of the U.S. market is medical marijuana, although that's projected to hit just about 50-50 within the next few years. Also, right now, cannabis flower, a.k.a. weed or pot, is still the most popular way to use. The president and Senate Majority Leader, they both voice support for cannabis reform, but COVID is widely, widely seen as the biggest catalyst for more state and even federal legalization. The Democrats in the Senate, led by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, are preparing a uh, bill to end federal prohibition of marijuana. Uh, does President Biden support that? He spoke about this on the campaign. He believes in decriminalizing the use of marijuana, but his position has not changed. If federal legalization happens, U.S. producers are expected to have an advantage because they already have dispensaries and, in many cases, growing licenses in place here in the United States. But there are questions about valuation in such a new industry. Many analysts say enterprise value to sales is the best way to assess these companies because there are still so many questions remaining about profitability and the eventual need for CapEx investment. Joe, back over to you. Yes, thank you, Frank. What about would have welcomed your, your input in the, in the beginning. We, we had some fun there, Frank, but uh, that's an interesting story. And it, yeah, you had know, a good time. Yeah, we did have a good Joe, time. Joe, you need a Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> I like some of those. That, that, those are pretty clever, some of them. But you know what? I'm usually okay, though. Even, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it, Mondays are bad. Monday, I could use a Snickers on a Monday morning. Yeah, Thanks, here's a, Frank. Here's a tip, Joe. Just, just don't indulge before work next time. You, you mean with the Snickers? Okay. Next on SwathPod, auto regulators are investigating Tesla and its autopilot feature following a fatal crash in Texas. But will the probes prompt any change? CNBC's auto reporter Phil LeBeau. NHTSA has done more than 24 uh, probes of crashes involving Tesla vehicles. Have you seen anything dramatically change in terms of what Tesla does with its autopilot, Becky? You haven't. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. An update now on the Tesla crash that killed two men over the weekend. Local police said they didn't believe anyone was in the driver's seat when the car veered off the road and hit a tree. But Elon Musk is disputing that assessment, tweeting, data logs recovered so far show that autopilot was not enabled and this car did not purchase full self-driving. Moreover, standard autopilot would require uh, lane lines to turn on, which this uh, street didn't have, so that it wouldn't have been possible to use it even on that uh, on that byway, whatever, on that road. Uh, two federal agencies are now investigating the crash, uh, along with local p- police. None have completed, though, comprehensive uh, investigations. I was interested in in what a battery fire means, guys. It it wh- how do you put out? They, is, I guess they're trying to figure it out. How it's do hard. you put out a battery fire? You saw it took hours and hours and hours. And gallons it's, it's and ga- difficult. thousands and of gallons. Yep. How do you do it? 
They, I would imagine that'd be with any electric vehicle, right? Yeah, battery. Yep. But yeah. it's a, they're all, using they're increasingly using foam and other things to to, to put to put these fires out. But that's the the risk involved with you know. Yeah, with the battery. We've all tried to put out a cars. grease fire with water where it's like, whoa, that was dumb. <laughs> um, you know, hamburgers yeah. in the broiler or something. So it, uh, it matters. I, it, a lot of times, I guess, you, you kind of try to suffocate it because it can just make it worse if you put, put water on it. Philip Bo is here. Phil, what can you tell us this morning? Uh, Becky, we may have some more developments in the next day or two, whether or not we get any type of resolution or greater clarity. I'm skeptical that we'll see that anytime soon. By the way, that was a fiery uh, crash that it took the fire teams uh, a long time to put out this fire, which is not a surprising uh, situation given the fact that lithium-ion battery packs can burn so hot. So you've got the NTSB and NHTSA both investigating this accident. Keep in mind that NHTSA has done more than 24 uh, probes of crashes involving Tesla vehicles. Have you seen anything dramatically change in terms of what Tesla does with its autopilot, Becky? You haven't. And that's because a number of times these investigations, they are concluded with no determination. Sometimes they're concluded and they say, you know what? It wasn't the software. It wasn't autopilot's fault. It was the fault of the driver. They were incorrectly operating the vehicle. So it may be a while before we get any type of determination about what happened with this crash. Yeah, probably hard to argue that the driver wasn't at fault if there was no one in the driver's seat. Yeah, what was going on here? I mean, were, were they trying something, some kind of a stunt? And, and that's not a strange thing to say, because if you go online, you can see tons of people doing stuff behind the wheel uh, with the vehicle, with a Tesla on autopilot that they shouldn't be doing. They, you know, whether it's sleeping, whether it's somebody climbing in the back seat. All of right. that stuff feeds into the perception that autopilot is, is dangerous when, in fact, it's the driver who is conducting what acting where the way they shouldn't be. I, I guess the question becomes, will regulators say anything because this feature is being misused? Will they try and crack down on it because people aren't using it properly? Well, that's what Bob Sumalt, who runs the NTSB, he's the head of the NTSB. He put out a very public statement over the last couple of months saying, ultimately, NHTSA, NHTSA regulates automakers. So it's not the NTSB. NTSB just determines who's at fault with a particular accident, but it's NHTSA that regulates. And Bob Sumalt has said NHTSA needs to do more to make sure that Tesla does not allow public drivers to test out software for autopilot. We have reached out, by the way, to Bob Sumal. We've said, look, we'd love to have you come on. We'd love to hear your concerns about autopilot, how it's being developed. So far, they've said at, at the NTSB, he's just letting his statement speak for itself. Phil, thank you. We look forward to hearing more as this story continues to develop. Coming up, Republican Senator Rob Portman on gun control, crypto regulation, and the conservatives' case for keeping taxes as they are. Things were going well. And some of it was attributed to the, the tax relief and the tax reform. So I hope we don't go down that path because I think it, it, it would be exactly the wrong thing to do as we try to recover from the pandemic. Squawk Pod is back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. 
absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You know what? We've got a big hour, Andrew uh, and Becky. Yep. A big hour. It Can is. Can you imagine if we ever said, boy, this next hour, we, you know, we, we called everybody we couldn't. We, we got no, no one called us back. We got nothing uh, for the next hour. I mean, we. <laughs> Please, Not the case uh, today, thank goodness. Please watch us, uh, even though um, we really haven't done much of a booking job and, and there's, we don't have a lot coming up, but please watch. I mean, would we, ever say, we never say that. Of course we have a big hour. We always have a big hour. we're never in that position, especially not today. Yeah, exactly. We're never in that position. If you own a home in the U.S., you probably just saw your property taxes jump. Really, Robert? Robert Frank joins us. Uh, how uh, much more Americans are paying? Could we have not noticed, but it happened? Who's feeling the most pain? Probably, right? Are, are, I'm, su- I, I'm surprised. You're surprised, Joe. I mean, <laughs> everything's going up. Housing prices are going up, yep. so taxes will, too. Actually, Americans will pay over $320 billion in property taxes for 2020. That is the biggest increase in four years. The average property tax bill now over $3,700. That's a 4.4% jump from 2019, all according to a report from Adam Data Solutions. Now, the effective tax rate was basically flat at 1.1%. So this increase really driven by rising property values and housing prices. Some states, of course, getting hit much harder than others. New Jersey, of course, leading the nation in property taxes now with the average homeowner in New Jersey paying $9,200. The state also wins the highest property tax rate at 2.2% or twice the national average. Illinois coming in second place for tax rates, followed by Texas, Vermont, and Connecticut. Now, the county with the highest average single-family home taxes is Rockland County in New York State at $14,000. You want the lowest property tax rates? You got to head to Hawaii at only 0.37%. The average homeowner in Hawaii paying less than $3,000 a year. Now, property tax attorneys saying they are seeing a record number of appeals and challenges to assessments this year, but with school and town budgets so strained by COVID, they're not likely to get any relief, Joe. And we always talk about the tax burden, talking now about the corporate tax rate, the individual tax rate. Property taxes are such a big part of what most American families and homeowners pay And these rates are going up. So this burden as a whole is already increasing for a lot of Americans. Makes perfect sense. So it costs like five times as much to live in New Jersey as Hawaii. That uh, that's very logical. (laughs) Yeah, but Hawaii. Remember, Hawaii has the second highest income tax rate. So you can get a second home in Hawaii. That's cheap. But if you want to live there, you got to pay the high income taxes. People, it's a privilege, Becky, to, to live in New Jersey. And, you know, a lot of people still make fun of it. Andrew, uh, in, you know, driving in the factories and the smell and things like that, because it smells because you ship all your trash over to us from Manhattan. Thank you for that. Uh, But um, (laughs) you know what? It's fine. New Jersey's crowded enough. We don't need anybody else here. Let them just see the Sopranos open and think that is all of New Jersey. Garden State. Garden State. There's gardens. That's right. Andrew, there's gardens. Okay. Tomatoes. The beach. Sopranos is what you're going with to represent the state? The what? No, no, no. I'm fine with that, with you all thinking that that's all this place is, because we don't want anybody else. You guys can stay away. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. 
Right. Right. There's some nice beaches. There are. Okay. There's some very okay. nice beaches. Oh, that's there. big of you. Yeah, it's the You've garden been state. There. You haven't seen the mountains. There's lots of other nice there places. Are. Yeah. Anyway, lakes. let's pivot right lakes. now from property taxes, lakes, from property taxes to corporate taxes. That's something President Biden wants to help pay for his more than $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Biden met yesterday with a bipartisan group of lawmakers to talk about paying for the proposal, and he said he's open to compromise. Republicans hope that means hiking corporate taxes less or not at all. Joining us right now is Ohio Senator Rob Portman. And Senator, it's great to see you this morning. I, I want to start with a Thanks, report Becky. that was out last week suggesting that the 10 Republican senators who are moderates and who are looking for bipartisan sort of solutions have, have grown pretty frustrated. They listed you as one of those people. They've grown frustrated because they don't think the Biden administration actually wants bipartisan activity at this point. Do you think that or do you think there really is room for compromise here? Well, we'll see. The, the rhetoric of the campaign and even the inaugural address was we want to bring people together. Uh, and President Biden has said that, but the action certainly hasn't matched it with regard to the COVID-19 bill. As you know, uh, Democrats chose to use reconciliation, meaning they didn't need Republican votes. And so uh, they didn't get any and, and they put it through, you know, in a way that, uh, you know, was not focused on COVID-19. They're doing it again with infrastructure because the proposal, $2.7 trillion, only has about 20 percent uh, if you use a generous definition of infrastructure, less than 5% is for roads and bridges. So uh, it seems like they're heading down the same track. But on the other hand, they're starting to say that they'd like to work with us. We'd love to. We've got some ideas. Uh, we think, one, you start with real infrastructure. That kind of makes sense if you're doing an infrastructure package. And two, you come up with ways to pay for it that aren't going to hurt American workers, which is exactly what uh, their tax hikes would do. What's your idea in terms of how to pay for it? Well, Becky, first of all, if you start off with uh, something like 20 percent of the package, which is what, again, generously speaking, would be infrastructure, that would include water infrastructure. It would include things like broadband expansion. It would include things that maybe haven't traditionally been an infrastructure, but, but could be considered infrastructure. Uh, that's a good start because then your pay-fors are less. Second, obviously, there already is a user fee out there, which is the gas tax and other excise taxes. That could pay for about half of it. And for the rest of it, I mean, there's some great ideas. One would be uh, to actually use some of the money that was in COVID-19, much of which, as you know, has not gone out the door yet. Uh, the majority of it has not been spent. Our state of Ohio, other states and municipalities and counties and so on are looking for ways to spend this money, as you know, uh, $350 billion. And a lot would like to spend it on infrastructure. Well, perhaps there's a way to spend some of that money on infrastructure as part of this legislation and then perhaps have the local match, which is usually about 20 percent, so it's 80 percent federal funding, 20 percent local, have that match go up some, and that would provide some of the funding uh, to help with this new infrastructure. I know there are a lot of states interested in that as well as, as localities because, again, they'd like to have the flexibility to use this money for crumbling infrastructure. I think that's a really interesting idea. Second is electric vehicles. Why should they not pay anything for the use of our roads and bridges or hybrids for that matter? Of being the owner of a hybrid pickup truck, you know, I, I should pay something uh, in, in addition to what I'm paying for the, for the gas. So that's another idea. Uh, vehicle miles traveled is something that's been talked about, particularly with regard to electric vehicles. And a lot of the trucking companies are, are interested in that as long as the money goes towards real infrastructure, roads and bridges and so on. So there, there's ways to put this together. There's also, as you know, interest among some to invest in infrastructure, so-called PPP or public-private partnerships. Uh, that's another way to do it. So there, there are ways to do this without hurting America's competitiveness and hurting American workers, which is what the tax increases would do. 
News out this morning that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, has now invited Leon Cooperman to your uh, Senate Finance Committee uh, next week uh, to talk about taxes. Of course, they've been uh, in quite a back and forth uh, for quite some time. How much do you think individual taxes and, and individual tax rates are going to get uh, into this conversation? And do you expect Leon Cooperman to accept the invitation? I don't. I. I don't know about uh, Leon, but I do know that it's very likely you're going to see additional proposals for tax increases. Uh, this is what President Biden has pledged. He has said that it will be only for higher income individuals. But as you know, uh, our pass-throughs, which are 90 percent of the businesses in America, pay their taxes as individuals. So it's going to hurt those small businesses and it's going to hurt our economy. And, and you know, so far it's corporate taxes, which makes us non-competitive. Uh, after we finally got competitive, after we finally put in place tax provisions that increased investment in the United States. $1.6 trillion of earnings came back from overseas before COVID-19 and after the tax bill was passed. Uh, we also had increases in R&D, a 25% increase in research and development among America's biggest companies, and a 20% improvement in infrastructure spending for companies, in other words, for companies themselves right. putting more money into capital assets. This is all good stuff. We also had the lowest poverty rate in the history of our country and unemployment at 3.5%. And the 19th straight month of the 3% or more job growth in February before COVID. So things were going well, and some of it was attributed to the, the tax relief and the tax reform. So I hope we don't right. go down that path, Andrew, because I think it, it, it would be exactly the wrong thing to do as we try to recover from the pandemic. Hey, hey Senator, separately, I just wanted to ask you a, a, about a different topic, uh, which is uh, guns and mass shootings in America. Smith & Wesson can't make guns fast enough. They're, they're literally flying off the shelves uh, at the moment. And uh, the House, as you know, has put together a bill um, that I'm told, and from what I've seen you say, you believe is too broad. Uh, clearly, we don't want, I, I, I think we were both in agreement, we don't want guns uh, in the hands of the wrong folks. Uh, why do you think it would be too broad, for example, to extend uh, the background check time from three days, for example, to 10 days? Well, I think you, there, there are ways to tighten background checks, and I, I think you'll see some bipartisan agreement on that uh, coming together over the next even few weeks here. Uh, I'm having a meeting on that later today. Uh, I do think that there are big concerns with the House bill because it does go too far in a number of respects, including uh, the, the simple transfer of a, of a gun from a family member. It could be a gift, as, as, a, as an example, and you could be subject to penalties, including criminal penalties. So I think there's some things that that go too far there. But I do think there's an interest in tightening background checks more, being sure the right information is in the system. I think there's also some interest in uh, some sort of a way to identify people who have mental health histories and, right. and obvious uh, concerns, family members and friends and so on, as long as there's due process involved. And that's, that's when you look at these shootings, that tends to be the issue. Just to put a fine point on it, uh, on the background check issue specifically, do you object to a longer background check period? I mean, my sense, I'll just tell you my, my feeling, is that if you, need, if you need a gun within the context of three days, there's a larger problem uh, that probably should be dealt with uh, in, in the context of law enforcement. Well, I, that's an interesting comment, Andrew. I, I don't know that that's true. I mean, somebody might feel the need for protection uh, because they live in a violent neighborhood, as an example, and that, that person may feel the need to protect uh, herself or himself or, or, or their family. So I don't know. I, I, I haven't looked at that part of the, of the bill in detail. What I have looked at is ways you could take the current background system and make it work better, including providing much better information, uh, especially with regard to things like mental health, where right now 
many of the states are not providing that data in a timely manner. And there's, there's a way to do that. Uh, and there's also a way, as I said again, to help identify people in advance. And, and again, with due process, but when you look at these shootings, um, in many situations, the background check wouldn't have helped, but it would have helped if individuals had had the ability to go to law enforcement to say something's wrong here and then have some sort of a process to identify that, that person in advance. So anyway, those are, those are things I think that could happen and could actually make a difference. Hey, Senator Portman, I hear that you are working on a bill to try and define cryptocurrency for tax purposes and, and try and keep it from being able to be used for tax evasion, things like Bitcoin. W what's in that bill? When can we expect to see it? Well, we're still working on it. I, I probably shouldn't have talked about it at, at a hearing a couple weeks ago because we don't have the final bill yet. But the idea is to have better information reporting on cryptocurrency and to define it better for, for tax purposes. There is, as we heard uh, a few weeks ago at this hearing, a trillion-dollar tax gap right now. Uh, some of that tax gap is attributable to uh, the cryptocurrency issue, not certainly all of it or even most of it. But that's one of the issues that, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike are interested in pursuing. So we hope to introduce it on a bipartisan basis here, uh, probably right after this next congressional recess. We're still pulling information in. But I do think that's one of the issues we ought to be addressing to try to close that tax gap. The tax gap meaning taxes that aren't being collected. Think about that. If we could have more of that tax coming in, we wouldn't have to um, be talking so much about these pay-fors because we'd have more revenue coming into the Treasury from people who do owe taxes. Because you think Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are being used to evade taxes or because you just think we're not up to snuff and kind of tracking it and making sure we keep on top of it? Well, I, I think it's both. Uh, Becky, I think primarily it's a lack of information reporting, which uh, always is has historically worked to help increase com compliance. And so I think that's part of it. It's just a reporting requirement, perhaps a new form. But we're, we're looking at all these issues and trying to figure out the best way forward. I know that you were one of the people who got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine early on. We have since heard about some, some problems in a very small number of people who have been vaccinated, uh, something like just seven or eight cases, uh, or just, just a small number of the seven to eight million people who have been vaccinated with the J&J &J shot. You've also been trying to get people back in your home state in Ohio to, to take on the vaccine. What, what do you hear? What do you think, first of all, about the J&J &J news? And what do you hear from people in your home state when you try and convince them to get vaccinated? Yeah, uh, take the shot. I mean, I, I think it's incredibly important for my constituents and for their families, uh, but also for the broader community that people get vaccinated. And we're making progress. We're over 50 percent in Ohio. Uh, we have the progress has slowed a little bit recently, and so I think there's a need for us to do more outreach and to let people know these vaccines are safe, they're effective. You know how you can get the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine if you're over 16. Just show up. Uh, it's you know there are actually appointments that are open right now. So I'm encouraging people to to move forward. I did join the trial early on because I wanted to encourage more people to get into the trials. They needed more participants, uh, but also to show people that you know that I believed it was worth doing this, uh, you know, to keep my family safe and to help keep our broader community safe. And you're right, it's, um, it's less than 10 individuals and they tend to be women and it tends to happen right after the shot, as I understand it, and these were blood clots. But that's out of millions. Uh, you said six to seven million. I don't know the, the, the number right now globally, but it's, it's millions of people. So uh, I'm confident that the FDA and others uh, in the scientific community are doing the research and doing the background to be sure that, you know, every uh, potential right. issue is addressed so that the, the 
the J&J vaccine is safe as well. Right. But in the meantime, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are out there in Ohio and around the country. And let's get vaccinated and let's move on to a more normal life where we can get, you know, back to school and, and back to work and, right. and back to going out. Uh, so my, my hope is that people will take advantage of it. Hey, Senator, real quick, given your comments about uh, crypto and, and, and tax evasion on that front, I'm curious, are you supportive overall, and I think some of your Republican peers have not been, of better funding the IRS? I, I ask because uh, I, like you, believe that if, you know, if we can collect money that, that, we're, that, that the government is ultimately already due, and there are some studies suggesting up to $600 billion of a, a year are effectively being evaded, if there was additional investment made in the IRS to collect that money, uh, we might not be having the same kind of conversation about raising taxes to the degree uh, that, that, I, that I know I think in certain instances you object to. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, I, and, I, and I've been consistent on that since, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago when I was involved in the IRS reform efforts. Um, if you're a small business person in America, you want to have somebody competent <laughs> who's going to show up at your doorstep. Um, um, if, if, if you're going to get audited and the person is overworked and uh, not properly trained or qualified, uh, it's a problem. So I, I think I think it's important to provide adequate resources, including to provide better taxpayer service, because when you call the IRS or when you're emailing, you know, with, with the IRS trying to get information, it's very difficult. And by the way, that leads to less collection. If somebody can't get through and can't get the answers, uh, that person understandably is frustrated and may not be paying the, the, the full amount due. So yeah, let, let's provide better service, let's provide more professionalism, and let's be sure the tax system works better. I've, I've never quite understood this argument that it's better to to cut the IRS budget because it, it doesn't help my constituents who have to deal with the tax collector. You might as well do it in a more uh, professional, efficient way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm for that, and I think it would help in terms of collections. Hey, Senator Portman, thanks for your time today. It's really good to see you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Becky. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Joe. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Hey, it's cool, man. I'm a child of the 70s. I can no longer pretend. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our Squawk Box TV show right into your ears, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Share Squawk Pod with a friend, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. 